Well, that means you can bring friends, so we That's can right. come ride horses. Next Anytime time you want to come ride horses. Welcome to Game Theory and Money Live from the Circle City, from Naptown, from the 317, Indianapolis, Indiana, way back yonder. It was started by Blesto, an opportunity for all these organizations, franchises to get into one spot, cover the medical uh, on all these dudes that were coming into the leagues, exchanging their amateur status for professional. And uh, here we are today in 2018, and the Combine is as big a production, it feels like, as the Super Bowl. I believe this is my seventh. Consecutive? Does that sound right, Mark Brady? Seventh consecutive combine for NFL Network slash NFL.com slash NFL Digital Media. And to my left, for the first time, as this is the inaugural season of our Game Theory and Money podcast, although this is not her first merry-go-round either, is uh, Cynthia Freeland, predictive analytics, all those fancy degrees. One, right up the road, as we're in Big Ten country, and let's go Big Ten women's basketball. We've got the University of Michigan and the University of Minnesota in our hotel, so... If Goldie the Gopher's mascot costume goes missing, don't look at me. Cynthia, with you your degree fit, from Northwestern. You actually do probably fit the mascot perfectly. Absolutely. Look at me. I'm built like a teenage girl. Of course I would fit a mascot <laughs> outfit. My God. Cynthia, uh, welcome. As I welcome you into your own podcast. Uh, but <laughs> Thank again, you, and welcome the first to time, you. Yes, it's the first time we've done anything here at the Combine. And this is something, obviously, that teams, analytics departments do a whole lot of work I got at. to have an analytics happy hour. I was in you heaven. Did. Oh, a bunch of analytics folks all get oh, together? Dipping yeah. some suds? Dipping some suds. We were at the what Ram. Do mean, what do you mean by dipping suds? We, we dipped it. I don't know how, but we managed to figure <laughs> it out. Were you dipping <laughs> Actually, your shots had... into your beers? Is that what dipping suds is? It was flaming Dr. Peppers Listen, all around. We you are, wacky analytics We are people. math geniuses. We can figure out how to dip suds. If anyone could do it, it's those people right. that I was having an amazing time with. I really... You know what they say, right? Like that, you know, that was the that was the regular lament of the football folks when they would hit the road in colleges. They would look at the band and they'd be like, "Hey, man, why is the band partying harder than we are? There's something wrong with this picture." But that's the truth, you know. The band hits the road; they get after it a little bit. The football guys got to take care of some business. I digress. <laughs> Let's get to the uh, the scouting combine because that is here in Indianapolis. All 32 teams. We've had pressers from coaches and general managers. And beginning on Friday, we're going to get through the drills, the offensive lineman, the specialist. Let's go, launch snapper. We got one from the University of Oregon, and I hear he's a heck of a kid, so good luck to him. Cynthia, uh, why don't you share with all the folks listening uh, what you do in the world of analytics when it comes to the combine, what all of these teams, because as you said, all the analytics folks are in town, are doing on that side of scouting as they're keeping an eye on these 337, I think it is, prospects that are here this week. Breaking news, the combine isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> well, the medical and the interviews, okay, okay, wait, wait. The, what the public is able to consume is the least important part of the combine. The, the results of drills like the 40 and the short shuffle, while they're interesting to see trends over time, the more the, like the bigger test here is can these young men handle the rigorous schedule and the kind of annoying crap that comes along with entering the NFL? Are they going to be nice at 10 p.m.? I actually had... One executive tell me last night that one of the things that he does is he thinks about, you know, his last interview, like, would he want to have that guy on a flight with him from San Francisco back to New York, an overnight flight, or is he just going to annoy the crap out of him and he wants nothing to do with him? So, like, the overnight flight test, that's, sure. like, a new thing that I heard Getting about this year. early, having a roommate. Right. Answering questions. questions. That are, yeah. and, and, by the way, 
on repeat the same pain in the butt question after you've worked out all day and you're not at home it's it's just a it, it, it's more of an environmental test to see like character and a little bit of a 15 minute entree into someone's in you know personality there is and look there are exceptions to every rule and that is the general rule that yep. the drills typically confirm what you already knew exactly um, and that's what i have here oh there you the, go the combine numbers verify what you thought yeah great if you have an outlier then it causes coaches and teams to go back and watch film and that's for upside and for downside so if you're out of range if you're an outlier fast on the 40 like john ross last year hey maybe that it could and yeah, how'd that work out it, it inflated his draft status that's what i mean right I, it, it, i'm not saying it but worked I'm saying out but if it, you invest too much into a 40 right. time at the combine right and you forget oh yeah this guy was banged up pretty much his entire football career and he missed almost his entire rookie season because he was banged <laughs> up. can you even remember there's another guy last year that ran a blazing 42 that would uh like right around that same time and i can't even remember his name but it was there was two guys that were like there are a handful of outliers like you said i mean right. i just kind of think back as i mentioned seven years here i think of teron armstead the yep. offensive lineman how fast he was down yep. terry poe and he was going through the drills. And that's usually what Jamal it is. Jamal Charles is very fast. It's, yeah, I just think it's more giant guys yeah. that end up right. being a lot more athletic than you would anticipate for somebody of that size um, and stature. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a like some insights from what I've done based on draft work. So ahead of the draft, and I'll tell you where the combine fits in, and then we'll just go through like some positions. Okay. So when you're watching at home, you can be like, hey, he's in range, or hey, he's an outlier, okay. so you kind of know. So first of all, what I did was I took 12 years of like NFL data, not – you know, not college data. So I actually, who they became in the NFL, worked with some coaches, we created a paradigm. So at each position, you get basically three years to become who you are, three playing years. So Aaron Rodgers, you know, sitting, that didn't, you know, hurt him or whatever. Oh, three years at, in the NFL. I got Three you. NFL so not even years. talking about their college. Nope, I do everything backwards. Okay. So to train my model, it's three years of NFL, or, you know, it's 12 years of NFL data. You get three years to become who you are. Each position has a set of criteria. The more elite you are at the criteria, you end up in one of five buckets. Elite, Above average, average, below average, well below average. So NFL data, let's put them into buckets. The same coaches who help me write what the criteria are, then they come verify, and then they you know slide one guy you know from average to above average or whatnot. And then we have the that's the baseline. Twelve years of who people were in the NFL. Can I ask you a question? Is Anything. it like uh, is it like the cast system? Whatever bucket I'm born into, can I leave? Like, if I'm an untouchable or if I'm in uh, below average, can I move to be like a Brahmin and end up getting into that yes. above average? I can. You can That's move. fantastic. You can move, and you can also see, you know, age trends to move not in the up way but the down way. Okay. Right? You can see trends over time. It's basically like each year, and you think of like, you know, like, you know, a graph, and there's little, like, data points in a line, and the squiggly line for each player where they end up. But because we're not arguing who's number two versus number three, we can both both just agree that two and three are in the elite category, then okay. you're in a bucket. So right? we got three years NFL. Three years for the most part. So then what I did was mapped everything backwards. So I took what we knew about Jalen Ramsey's a great one, right? So a couple people were like, oh, he played corner and he played safety in college. Which one's he going to be? Whatever. So you map everything backwards so people like that that did that in college there's one that works on our net at our network Deion sanders he did that same thing like you can he's not in my sample because he's a little out of age range but point being you can look for doppelgangers based on what what happened in the yeah, past there's not a lot of them i mean Rod no. woodson Deion sanders there's, there's but he was a, a fun one because like what you can do is you can project everything backwards so you add in the combine data you add in everything you know about them from college and then you kind of take that and each player gets a percentage chance they end up in each one of those buckets so like you and and the reason I like Jalen Ramsey so much is because it was like he's just gonna be like real elite or like a bust if he went to the wrong system. 
that's just so weird to me. Like to me, that that Jalen Ramsey was probably the the most bust proof prospect it was from like, last year's uh, draft. Two years that, ago. That's yeah. two years ago. Yeah, yep. that's what's so. But it was it was hilarious. Like not hilarious, but it's it's about system. So if he was asked only to be a safety last year, right, Jalen Ramsey? Two, Jalen Ramsey. Two years ago. Two I'm years sorry. Ago. I'm yep. thinking of Jamal Adams. Yeah. Yes. So Jamal Jaylen. Adams is a little different. Yeah. Jamal so, Jamal Adams was like. If think about if it's a, like a line here and a lead over on the right, he right. was like that circle was there. Right. But Jalen Ramsey kind of had both, right? Because gotcha. he had played like two different positions. Gotcha. Anyways, so we did that, and then I, and we kind of came up with trends for each position. Can we go through them? Why not? Okay. Which where do you want to start? Where do you think we start? Where do we always start? <laughs> Quarterbacks. I mean, let's go. So really, the only thing, in my opinion, that you should look for when you're watching are the throws. So the way the drill kind of works is the. Each throw gets longer, harder, and then you have the ones to the receivers, not just the regular throws. And they the receivers shuttle through, so you don't have you don't get to create chemistry with a receiver. And by the way, which coaches is why know you that. hear a lot of coaches. You say coaches love that. Well, correct. Well, that's but funny because I always hear them say, that. "I don't care about throwing because they have no rapport. They don't know. Well, they these don't. Guys. They don't love it, but they they love watching like the footwork. They love that's watching. That's what I hear. They watch is the right. footwork. And then, but then what happens is, is as they progress, the routes get longer and more complicated. So the best throwers really do start to separate themselves. And that's where they should. Like the best of the best will reveal, like as the routes get longer and harder. And it's not, don't worry about the catch. Worry about the throw. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the throwing motion, your footwork, the, the mechanics of the, because if the receiver doesn't catch it, it's not on you necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you watch, like you said, if it's an elite, quarterback when they're going through the throwing drills and you have your deep outs or your posts you can see some guys are at least putting it pretty close it's just hard because you don't know the receivers you don't know how fast they are you know how comfortable they are agreed but you can still see where the ball goes you can it's not about the result it's where the ball goes right like it's just more live action than a throw to no one you know what i'm saying like um and then the other part that's interesting and so sam darnold's not going to throw and of the first round draft picks in the last 10 years there's been 27 of them 17 of 27 have thrown so it's it's controlling a narrative to not throw. So to me that that's an interesting. I'm curious what you. Yeah, think about. well, I, I mean, just speaking from the experience and talking to the people, I've heard that they don't really care about the combine for quarterbacks. They really don't even care about the pro days when they're throwing to their guys. They just care about them coming to their team. They want to put them through their own personal workout with their team, and that is, it's like if you want to split it into a pie. That's 95% of their workout is what they get to do with them when they come to their visit. Um, Agreed. So, it, and I think the, the trick with the, the quarterbacks throwing, kind of the old adage is you only do it if you need to. Like if you're Lamar Jackson and or you're trying you're to get Deshaun, to the first round. Or you're Deshaun Watson and you need to because you had all those picks. Yeah, or, you feel but, like, but that's kind of similar. But like when he had Sam a bunch Dar- of picks too. Yeah, but no, I just mean if it's Sam Darnold and you're projected to probably be number one or at the worst maybe number five. Right. There's no upside. You're you're pretty much locked into those spots. Not Josh Rosen, who may want to end up being the number one pick, but everybody has. I mean, there's a range on Rosen. It seems yep. like now that's yep. fallen down I into the double digits. I saw a mock draft hitting up eleven. That's what I mean. So if that's what's kind of what the whispers are, right? And he's the best thrower in the draft. Get out there and right. throw, like you said, because you're going to separate. And right. when you have people saying that you're the best thrower that they've seen in ten years, yeah, you get out there, throw. show Go it show off. Me. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, and then the feet are important because obviously in college they play the pistol and the shotgun. They're not operating under center. So the coaches are watching the three, five, and seven step drops. And in this case, for me, Baker Mayfield here needs to show this the most because he's the one who did not play under center the most. Um, whereas Rosen has done it some, and so has Josh Allen. Yeah, so. the Oklahoma spreads it a weird one. Um, and the thing about Baker is he's got great feet. I mean, he is a tremendously Good, accurate. Good, then do it. Show yeah, it. Yeah, so show it off. And that's okay, the other so. one, by the way, who's like, speaking of Josh Rosen slipping, Baker is the guy who's 
you know, now you've got people saying he might have to go number one. I mean, that's how he's wide, a wide his card. range is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the most volatile one. So if you look at the sample, and part of this is just a little bit of fun because this is what we're going to be talking about. But if you look in the sample, the average quarterback uh, is 6'2 and 222 pounds. So that's the 12-year sample with a 9.5-inch hand. We talk about this all the time. And in the least predictive thing in the entire world, 4.83 is their 40 time. That's the average. The guys who've gone in the first round are 6'3", 230. Nine, 9.8 inch hand and a 4.740 time. Again, not that big of a deal. Now, if you're an outlier real low. Sounds like an NFL quarterback. Right. 6.3, 2.30. Right. I mean, you're, you're big, sturdy, can take a hit NFL But just because you've gone in the first round doesn't mean you're necessarily going to end up elite or no. above average. And those guys become fit, so then you start to see clusters around, like the more you know Drew Brees type who's a little bit shorter, maybe Russell Wilson and that, people who are runners. There's a lot of different dimensions that you can look for in fit in terms of who became elite above average. I think, but you know, what my takeaway from that is is that NFL teams like their quarterbacks big and sturdy. You Typically, know? so you you have a better shot yeah. of going in the first round. That's what I'm going to tell you is if you like, I think I saw that Josh Rosen measured six four two thirty five something like something along that. Um, someone will verify that. And for a lot me, of but... times, you know, height and weight is. I mean, it's not all equivalent. No, you know, you hear about Rosen and narrow shoulder right. and concerns about and their ability. Yes, and about they they measure some teams. A lot of teams. Measure oh, okay, so Josh Rosen six four two twenty six. Yeah, hands right nine and seven eighths. Yep, nine and seven eighths, right in that range. Big you, they measure their wrists and they measure their knees and they measure their hips. Now they might That's not like do a it with big a measuring analytics thing now, huh? This wrist and it, knee it, thing. You know why? Because and there was a quarterback and he got hurt and he has not gotten fully better yet. He plays in Minnesota as of right this moment, or he belongs to Minnesota right. as of this moment. Um, and he flagged for having thin joints, and then like it kind of came true, so people were like, oh. Crap. We got to start doing this. Yeah, yeah. So, but that one was an interesting, and that was done separately, like outside of the Vikings. That was done, like kind of people observing it. You can see it, though. I mean, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but you can see it. And doctors have start started measuring. So it's pretty interesting. Um, that's a big moving forward thing. So, all right. So that's the quarterback. Now right. what? Let's go with running backs. Okay. I think that was because we got a pretty good one. You know. Yeah, I mean, you have Saquon Barkley. Perhaps some three, people are calling him like the best in like. Saquon Barkley, I mean, hearing is, you know, and you've got a USC one. I mean, a lot of, I think Daniel Jeremiah has him at number one, right? It is top 50 as the number one prospect in the draft, Saquon Barkley. You have Ronald Jones, you have Darius Geis. I mean, you got probably three. I think those two are um, flirting with the back end of the first draft. Sonny Michel could creep in, especially if he puts on a show. See, that's the kind of stuff where the combine can come into play. And this running back position is a really interesting one. So speed and lower body explosiveness are the two things that you can kind of measure here. So for me, the things that are most interesting are the the 40, but the first 10 split, the vert, and the broad jump. And it's kind of – here's your historical reference. So the average in the sample is about 4.56 overall 40 time with a 1.6 split. The range is 4.24 to 5.06. There's about 400 people in the sample, and only 10% of the running backs – have gotten a better 40 time than 4-4. That was interesting to me. Yeah, I running backs don't necessarily have to be fast. You know, like they you have, said, that's pretty fast. They have, I'm saying they have to be quick, which right. is why, like you said, right. your average first rounder isn't running a 4-4. They're right. running right around four sixes. You know, when you think about, you know, like last year, Leonard Fournette, it wasn't about his time. It was about size. It, it's size right. time. That, I mean, you have to factor exactly. in both. How oh, big are you and that's, how fast are you That's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. Because So if you look at the guys who became above average or elite, you got the four 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 as the number that they that like will get a coach's attention with the one five two split. The range has been four three eight to four point five, depending on how heavy. Now, like Alev Bell, he he chose a different strategy than 
uh, Sony Michelle did. Sony Michelle rated really light yesterday, like 206. So you got to factor in like their height and their weight into that. Like that to me indicates that Sony Michelle might be trying to go like blaze it. Like he's going to try a really, really fast 40. Interesting one there. So just so you know, the the prototypical who becomes av- above average and elite ends up being between 5'11 and 6'1. So let's call it six foot. And the cool thing here is that they have a broad jump about 1.7 times or better their height. So for a six foot guy, that's 10 feet, two inches. Maurice Jones drew like did almost exactly what, what that, like he was almost exactly that. Broad like, jump. That's, that's that, that giant, explosive movement. That's explosive yep. movement. And then increasingly the verts becoming more of something they look at because there are more pass catching running backs in the league. Um, 35.5 is the average, but uh, anything like a 40.5 is like where the elite or above average guys. So that's, Five inches different is significantly different. Like a Zeke, like these guys have like much bigger, you know, like flag for like, you know, if you look at like, I think Zeke, his broad was uh, 118 inches. So almost 10 feet. It was a little different. Anyway, so long story short, it's it's kind of that three-dimensional jump. That's a movement. That's a, it's, a, it's a drill where you can find separation. It is a drill yeah. where you can find. And it's, and it's also just something like if you flag for all three, maybe that's a way to narrow down. Let's say... Let's say, like, take the top guys aside because you spent a lot of time on them. But maybe we're trying to find, like, a second, third round running back. Or just think about Alvin Kamara last year. Exactly. Right? Like, the guy crushed where the Where do drills, you find uh, yourself in these? Yeah, the shuttle drills, the three cones. I mean, that's where Kamara really shined. And, like, you know, in what we're seeing now in today's NFL is more of that. We got to find a three-down back. We need yep. to find a back that can catch the ball in the backfield, um, which the old Andy Reid, yeah, they're smoke routes, but they're really runs. And that's – where, and like you, know, you mentioned, Sonny of... Michelle is probably yes. going to shine as well. Yes. And, you know, uh, I talk a lot about, like, butts, right? Like, thickness of legs. And I do this for linemen, yeah, but power. also for running backs and blocking. And there's a lot of, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of work trying to, like, figure out leverage for running backs, just kind of like offensive linemen, because I'm so good at measuring butts. Sure. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. That's your specialty, right. Cynthia. You found it. All right. On to wideouts. Same thing wide with receivers. speed and lower body explosiveness. There's about 500 wide receivers. Um, that had been the combine over the sample size four two two that was no John, John Ross. Ross and then four uh, eight five is the range a little tighter I mean it's ridiculous like two tenths of a second but a little yeah. tighter a little faster overall the guys who became above average or elite the range is about four point three eight to four five seven but there's big body differences remember you know you got like big guys like Calvin Johnson now well, he that, blazed that's, it that's but... the outlier just take Calvin Johnson and just throw it out yeah I mean, but big know. guys like that like so i mean he was a what four three five guy if i remember yeah, right and he ran, I mean, like, ran it in it somebody ridiculous. else's shoes yeah. so like you got like mike evans he's really he's like big like that too so you you're you got to remember that there's like a function of going like putting everything together so the way i kind of looked at this one i did their height plus their adjusted reach and their vertical so i measured their arms not um so like the the reach is not fair because game speed with pads on you can't get your hand up as high <laughs> right so you adjust not the, the best predictor no but so like you try to find it in there like what their best is like reach wise from college and that took a lot of computer vision which was like real fun to do um and that's kind of a joke but ultimately um because you also see that when you're really different um in height your vert is much different their vert range is like 26 to 45 inches it's like almost double <laughs> right so and you got a little guy that right. can jump out the room so you, know, you got so, that's so what, what i did want. So what I did was I did I call it my jump ball metrics. So I did their okay. height, adjusted reach, vertical, and then what I did was I also looked at cornerbacks and where they're who usually defends what route. So you're not going to project like you're trying you're trying to think like who they put on them, right? Okay. So you just do kind of average versus average. You do it by route. So the average cornerback is five nine with a thirty one point five arm length. It ends up being about twenty nine when you put pads on. 
um, 36.3 vert. So that ends up being like, you know, about 138.8 inches. I, I know inches is hard to it's do, okay. but it's, it ends up being about, they get up there, their, their top of their hand is pretty high. Okay. <laughs> and then in wide receivers, that's why you have a handful of teams that don't want to draft wide receivers yep. that are below a certain height. Correct. And then it's because the wide receivers range from like 126 to 153. So that the adjusted the adjusted leverage. So there are only two wide receivers who are under five eight who are above average or elite in the NFL, and that's Deshaun Deshaun Jackson and Brandon Cooks, which I thought was kind of interesting. Both ran four three five. I was going to say two of the fastest or four three three. That and then um, Brandon Cooks has ridiculous vert. Um, so their jump advantage makes so like when you do that jump when you do the advantage it puts both of them in the plus category. So typically for guys who are five nine they end up minus like so if you again average with the cornerbacks and you match to the routes like they're usually track track under if you're five nine or or, or shorter. But if you're these guys are both the only two that had that jump metric and also became above average early, which is pretty cool. Um, so and by the way, uh, the Calvin Johnson metric to me, you know, obviously, like I like Calvin Johnson because of Michigan, but um, you know, his was one of the biggest ones. However, the prototype and something we're going to talk to Thomas Dimitrov off if, if, if we get a chance to talk to him. Um, the most ideal prototype for wide out one, like the guy with the highest, um, the highest jump, uh, advantage, Julio Jones. Yeah, yeah, six two and three quarters. He ran a four three nine forty. He's a 38.5 inch vert. He's a plus 8.2. That's I mean, there's one of them. There's there's one. You know what I mean? That's it. That's and that's that's why. And you know, like you said, if if you have a chance to catch up with them, when that you know that move was criticized and they gave up all that draft equity to get up there to get Julio Jones, it's you know the reason why Dimitrov. I think he's the second longest tenured. Yeah, he's like right. There's nobody like him. We we, we traded for the unicorn. You know, we we traded for the unicorn. That's where you take your big swing. So we did get a chance to sit down with Todd Bowles, and I want to before we get into that interview, I want to say something about this because part of what I was trying to show you is how you have to take what coaches talk and like what coaches say and like. put it into put it into the speak of th- that we can get some you know objective things from so coach Bowles is one of the coolest people he was a player he was in the league he's been a coach in the league for a very very long time I mean he won a Super Bowl these are incredible stats about him well but- stop teasing me why don't we just get to it well wait, I, I do want to say how I'm tr- but what you got to do is at the combine like the point is is like we're trying to show how you have to like use conversations like that to like find things to be able to talk to coaches about in terms of analytics. They're not going to sit there and give you numbers. Well, let's listen then. I am here with the head coach of the New York Jets, Todd Bowles. Thank you so much for joining me here in the Combine. We're kind of in this like crazy locker room, the visiting locker room. You said you were here three years ago, right? I was. I'm no stranger to it. You know, stranger to it. It's kind of of weird in here. Do you think they're... I don't know. I think well, it's a little cave-like. Is it better? It's season, in... so it looks a little spooky right it's now. It's a little but spooky. When you're in here with a bunch of people, it doesn't feel as bad. So I don't know if it gets talked about a lot, but you won a Super Bowl as a player, correct, with Washington? Correct. And you played defensive back? Correct. Right? And so one of the cool things that I noticed that you did in last year's draft was you actually took two safeties back-to-back, so Jamal Adams and then Marcus May. And can you kind of tell us what you were looking at with that, especially since you're, you know, it was your position? Well, we needed two safeties, obviously, <laughs> but Jamal kind of fell to us. Obviously, we had other people in mind uh, after interviewing and seeing him. He was one of the guys that was on our wish list, but we didn't think we could get. So he fell to us perfectly at number six. And in the second round, we kind of targeted Marcus May, but we didn't know he was going to go earlier in the first. And we thought he was the best player at that position that was available available for us to take. And we thought those two guys would come in and play right away. 
So you're saying the interview did kind of like help persuade you because sometimes we think about the combine and it seems like a lot of measurements and we've already seen there, you see a lot of film on each player and you do all of your fit work kind of behind the scenes. You're not really here at the combine doing fit work. So the interviews did play a part in that. They play a small part. I mean, it, it opens you up to when you go visit the school to have a better understanding of the kid when you talk to him. I think 15 minutes here at the combine doesn't give you a whole lot, but it opens you up a little bit to at least know that you're interested more. Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking at like the ideal defensive back, since I'm guessing that's probably not like your first list because you have two great safeties that you picked last year. So what were you kind of looking for in terms of like, what are you looking for at the draft, you know, or the combine in terms of defensive back? At that time, we were looking for uh, two guys that were ball hawks, guys that can run and hit, and they were very athletic, and they can be interchangeable and play both positions, and both of those guys can do that. Great. So when you're looking this year, so spin it forward here, nothing's really happened yet. You know, I'm always about being honest about when we're filming these because sometimes we don't air it like right away, right? Like we save it. Um, nothing's really happened yet. Nobody's been measured for really anything. It's just been a lot of you'd had to do a press conference and a lot of talking so far at this point. So kind of what are you like, is there anything that you can tell us in terms of, you know, ideal position wise? Like, is there something you're looking for here in general? For me, regardless of position, you're looking for athleticism. I think that comes first at the combine. Then you got to find out how intelligent they are. They can play great on film, but you got to find out how smart they are. But the athleticism, regardless of whether it's an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, or DB, you're looking for that. And that one position that you didn't actually mention, the one that everyone's talking to you about. Now, I don't want you to give us anything too specific or proprietary. <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, what's the ideal hair color for a quarterback? But I figured that our podcast listeners, like, we, we do analytics on this one. So we talk about strategy. And we talk about how, you know, it's a negotiation. So you get a whole bunch of interesting statistics on players. But then the coach has to take that and make it into something that fits their scheme, that fits what they want to do. So when you're looking at that one position, the one position where, you know, it's kind of a big deal, it's kind of, you know, the one people look at the most, what are some of the traits you're looking for in a quarterback? Oh, there's a lot of traits, obviously. Well, Accuracy. combine. We'll go with combine. No, combine. We won't, we're not going to get you into free agency right now. We're just like, what would you, what would make someone shine as a quarterback in the combine? Combine-wise, quarterback-wise, you can see the throws. It's, it's really personality that gets you more interested in one than the other. They're all very similar from a talent standpoint. But then their personality, leadership, obviously, and how they carry themselves will go a long way into getting to know them more. So when you bring a quarterback in for an interview, can you give me a question as if I were the quarterback that you were going to be interviewing? And we'll see how I answer it. Okay. <laughs> uh, in practice, how long did it take you to learn the playbook? Well, since <laughs> I'm really good at football, just that's a that's a backdrop here. Um, I think I spent a lot of extra time learning the playbook. So I'm going to be honest with you. At the beginning, it was tricky for me, but I, I caught on. Once I caught on, I really got it, and I spent the time necessary to learn it. Okay, and how good are you at taking snaps from under center? Not very good at all. <laughs> <laughs> for me at least <laughs> but uh, anyways fifth round. Fifth round. <laughs> hey that's actually better than i thought that's an incredible answer <laughs> awesome is there another my other last question here in terms of running back i'm just just 
putting it out there in terms of running back when you see some like the needs and the kind of evolving you know there's so many running backs now that catch passes and there's so many kind of it's such a diverse position this year we've seen you know everything that happened last year I don't know if this time last year we would have said like look at all the running backs that were so amazing from last year's rookie class we knew there were good ones but there were so many it was so deep have you seen any change in that or if you thought anything differently about running backs no, I think there's a bunch this year coming out as well. I think they can do a lot of things. The running back is the one position in college with all the schools that some people get overlooked, and sometimes you can grab one later on in the draft for free agency and end up being good ball players. They don't have to do everything, but if they fit a certain scheme, be it a runner, a pass catcher, or both, or even a blocker, you'll have a place for them. And how do you look at blocking? Like just on film, or like do you like do you think a guy's like it, mean? It depends on what kind of you're talking about from the running back. Yep. It depends on what kind of runners I have on the team already. If mm-hmm. I have blockers, then I will be a little lax and look for more of a certain different type of back. If mm-hmm. I don't have any blockers and I'm looking for a certain type, I'll look at certain guys. Perfect. And one last question: Since we are here in Indianapolis, what's your favorite place to eat here? <laughs> Combine's all about food, just so everyone knows. I would say the Ram right now. The Ram. The okay. Ram. All right. And what I mean, do you get everybody there? Everybody goes to St. Elmo's I, I and was, everybody goes to Harry and Izzy's and they have great not, food. No right. doubt about it. But the Ram gives you some comfort food and some cheese fries and stuff like that. So I, I find that pretty good. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I don't want to give you another interview. There's so many here. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Cynthia. Mm-hmm. You uh, you set us off schedule, Cynthia. Football players like being on schedule. You're not yeah. getting out of this without telling us about pass rushers because look, okay. Miles Garrett went number one last right. year. We Mario like Williams went number one in a draft with Vince Listen, Young. I was trying. To, all I was trying to do was stay on time. You're trying to I pat your own back. You're like, hey, I, I talked to Todd Bowles. Let's get to that. Why don't well, we do that? You know, I'd be that way. But let's uh, <laughs> let's speak to the pass rushers because. On a lot of boards, the number one player in the draft is pass rusher. It's Bradley yep. Chubb. So it's I mean, a fun name. It's a Bradley hey, Chubb. Let's go, Bradley and Nick Chubb. Let's mm-hmm. make it happen. So let's get to the pass rushers because obviously that's one of your premier positions uh, that finds itself okay. in discussion for the number one spot in most drafts. If you have any league prospects, so. and also if you were rating the the players, and most teams would put say that's the second most important right. position, right? <laughs> quarterback or be able to get to the quarterback. Quarterback. Or crush the quarterback. Yes. We got it. So what do we got? So for the elite and above average guys in the sample, the faster the better, typically. Um, all of the tests, uh, but you got to say where fast, right? Not 40 fast, but Ten. which part? So the tests try to, you know, get at burst and explosiveness. So, you know, that lower body leverage and also like that quick speed. So the, the burst, if you're running 40 seconds and you're a pass rusher like something's done horribly you don't need to wrong. run 40 yards no so the 10 sp- second split on the 40 is what i look at for one of them and 1.7 seconds or better is kind of the place to be if you look at like joey bosa remember a couple years ago everyone was so mad at joey bosa because he had a 486 40 yard dash which like people were like what he's so slow what's going on but his split was 1.69 which is the 10 split which is the only thing that mattered and then you couple that with the fact that he had a 4.2 short shuttle because short shuttle is the other thing that kind of measures his quick burst and and something that would relate more to pass rushers he actually hit profiles almost exactly the same as JJ Watt who had a 4.84 40-yard dash with a 4.21 short shuttle but his was like 1. Point, his split was um 1.7 so technically Joey Bosa was like a 
hundredth of a second. Yeah, they, it's it, offensive, defense. Oh, I mean, even it's even less important, obviously, for the O linemen. But for for both sides, I remember watching that combine and just going through the drills when you see him get his band when he yep. was taking. It was ridiculous. Yep. I mean, a man that big to watch those angles he was able to take, how low he was getting to the ground when he came right. around that corner. Exactly. So much more important than what a, a four eight whatever forty yeah. might be. And then Von Miller one point six two, Khalil Mack one point six four. So that number is pretty cool to look at if you're watching something at home. And those are your smaller guys. Those are more your outside yep. linebacker pass so we're, rushers. We talk about that in one second. Okay. Yep. But, but actually, it holds for the big guys too. That one, that first ten split kind of holds for for both. For both, yeah. uh, it's the ten split, and also the short shuttle. So the closer to four seconds, the better, because it kind of was almost linear with with that. So like the closer to four, the more the better they became. But it does extend to about four point three seconds for the short shuttle. Now, if you're looking for like the Vaughn Miller, Miles Garrett type, like an outside linebacker. Combination to look for height wise six one six two about two forty. If you're looking for like a more of a defensive end profile, you got to go taller, so six five six six like around two seventy. But again, these are these are not. It's not hard fat. Like it's like this is just what's happened over the past sample, and this is kind of just a benchmark to look for. Um, strength is extremely key here, but it doesn't necessarily mean like how many times you crush the bench press, right? Like that's, right. That people like over analyze the bench press but you just can't fail miserably that's no all. You just can't don't do it a... if you're if you're not like gonna do it then like like i jj watt crushed it but like you don't need to like put up 40 like oh, a million you just, times you just can't put up 18 no. i mean that's you, you really can't like especially <laughs> interior linemen you know they want to see especially for those inside right linemen they want to see you throw that thing right. up and, and show off some strength but you have to remember size and speed is extremely key so strength balanced with size balanced with speed is kind of the trifecta that you look for for this one. All right, Cynthia, with the pass rushers finished there, let's get to another conversation you had, this one with General Manager Thomas Dimitrov. I'm so lucky to be joined by the GM of the Atlanta Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov. Thank you so much for making time for us in the visitor's locker room. This is great. I can't wait. Weird spot to be, but we love it. Visitor's locker room, right? Just the the energy here. I can feel it. You guys are excited. It's an exciting group out here. (laughs) Your your NFL network team. We have a lot of snacks, so (laughs) it makes us all pretty happy. Um, I'm curious. You're starting your 11th year as the GM of the Falcons, and you're the fourth longest tenure GM in the National Football League. I'm curious how you've seen analytics evolve in the 10 years now, almost 11 that you're that you've been in the league. So first of all, you're reminding me how old I am, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. It just seems like yesterday I came in when I was 26 years old. You want to talk about the lack of analytical approaches, you know, way back then. So I've seen I've seen this league over 25, 26, 27 years change drastically at a lot of levels as a GM. So this is being going into my 11th year. When we first got in, when I first got in as a GM, we first started working our, our world with the Falcons. We were using we were using statistics and we were talking about you know minor analytics, but we weren't ne- we were never thinking about putting together an analytics group. And we have a staff now of four plus, about ready to have two more added to our analytics department. Another is, person that didn't hire me. We're just this is what we're learning here at the combine <laughs> that everybody doesn't hire me. Got it. So we realized <laughs> we definitely realized the, the benefits, right? And it's in, and we have some very adept people within that department. One in Carl Pierberg, who is ideally, uh, uh, he's just got such a great understanding of football as well as the analytics side of things. And we are hiring the right people who continue to feed us with more and more ideas and more information, which I think is fascinating. I've always said, talked at at MIT about this before, from a general manager perspective and a coaching perspective, I understand the importance of it all. I understand it's a supplement to what we do. So you never 
want to assume that a head coach is relying solely on analytics to call the game or from an acquisition standpoint as a co-team builder of this team that I am relying all on the analytics and the statistical side of you know, signing a player or going after a player. That's, that's ridiculous. But to be able to, to supplement a very good coach as Dan is with analytics is fantastic. I think our department is very adept at picking players, both pro and college. I think being able to utilize statistics uh, a lot of times will confirm what we know or what we don't know or sometimes confirm the idea that we're going to move on from a potential move. So I love where we're going with it. I love that we're more and more open to it. Now, I've been around certain, um, uh, respectfully, around certain high-level meetings within the NFL where you have half the people in the meetings who are avoiding the idea. They're thinking, eh, it's, it's too much. I don't want to talk about the analytics of everything. I want to just stay strictly with football, what I know. And uh, I think that that's, that's unfortunate because I think we all need to understand the benefits of being able to dabble at, at high levels in, in the analytics side of, of assessing. So we, you kind of touched on something that is a really big theme on this pod, which is that it's a negotiation between getting the data insights and using the data insights. And there's always a human element involved in both sides, from the front office and from the coaching perspective, without giving away anything proprietary. Can you tell us kind of where in the process you use analytics for this year? So, I mean, that's a great, great topic. And we've talked a lot about that, right? Making sure that whoever is delivering the information, especially to our head coach and our coaching staff, definitely don't make it cryptic and, and talk over their heads or make them feel that their intelligence level isn't satisfactory. I mean, that's such an important point. You know, I think within our group and within our organization, our people are very mindful of that. And that comes down from myself and from Dan. Dan will accept a lot. He's a very open-minded head coach, which I love. But he doesn't want to be talked down to. He's got no. so many other things that he's he's fired up about and focused on within within you know the realm of a week or as we're going through a year. The last thing he wants to do is is work through the puzzles of it. So I continue to tell our people, be very direct, simplify it. Not not because our people aren't smart enough to deal with it. That's not their world, right? Because we have some wildly intelligent people in the NFL. I believe it's just I think they're getting indoctrinated in it, and they have to be understanding and open minded. To your point. So I would break it down like this for us. I would break it down. We use analytics with, for acquisitions. So pre-acquisition, i.e. where we are right now at the combine. Post-acquisition, once we get the players and we continue to analyze them at so many levels, whether it is um, their abilities on the field, whether it is maybe their sleep patterns, whether it's rest and rehab, which is another part of the analytics element. So along with post-acquisition, it's rest and rehab, where we are with that as well as opposition analysis. So we've basically broken it down into four different buckets within our organization, at least on the football operation side. And we find benefit at every level. And it's, it is amazing with each year, not even each year, with each sort of segment and phase, more and more information is presented to me. And I'm just amazed. And I, and I love it because I think it just, it, it makes you feel that much more comfortable to look across from an owner and swallow deep and say, Matt Ryan is worth X amount and you of did dollars. that your first season. <laughs> I did it my first season. Well, you didn't. You from an acquisition right, right. standpoint, you acquired him and then the first back season. in thirteen when we signed him, we did it there. We we definitely used, uh, utilized you know an analytic approach to it. And here we are right now. We are at a really interesting crossroads in the, the quarterback market is insane right now. Right. So we are utilizing all we can to to make sure that we're doing the right you know doing the right things and and making sure that it's it's a very um, you know appropriate deal. Of course. 
Well, obviously. Yes. And obviously, I went to a good college. So, I mean, you know, the Boston College connection between me and Matt Ryan. You kind of like that. I do. Yes. I do. I think you have to value that. That, like, increases his. <laughs> yes. I think that should give him a little bit more money. That's right. He can have his agent okay. help me with that. He's already <laughs> talked to me about that. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Good. Perfect. So, one of the players. So, when I look through the past, and one of my players that I use as an archetype for the model of a wide receiver is Julio Jones. And we talked about it a little bit earlier in the pod and we talk about like if you if you look at all his measurables. So obviously I map things a little bit different. So I looked at who he became in the league and then I looked back at all the information that was available on him instead of looking forward because I'm not a scout. I don't have to do that. And when I look at him and he's the prototype. You made some trades to get him. So how do you kind of navigate like, all right, this is a guy we want and where do we value him in the draft? Well, that, I mean, that was a complicated process, as yes. you can imagine. It was an historical move, basically 21 mm-hmm. spots to move up for mm-hmm. him. And, and we were an organization, interestingly enough, if I go back a little bit, I remember in those earlier years before Matt came, uh, excuse me, before Julio came in, and Matt was came in in 08, so 8, 9, and 10, we were always thinking about how are we going to get these defenses on their heels, right? We needed a stud in there that was going to be, whether he caught four balls or whether he caught 14 balls in a game, that he was going to have the defenses in the league spun around. That was that was our goal. And we were we I you know, we used a number of different receivers in the league looking at those type of players. Players that weren't even, you know, physically anywhere near what Julio is. I mean, guys that were the opposite end of the spectrum as far as size and guys like Deshaun Jackson who were incredibly difficult to play against when he was at Philly and we were thinking, my God, how are we going to deal with this? So we we spent a lot of time about talking about why we would do it. We knew that it was going to be a big deal as far as trying to cultivate uh, a deal and trying to, you know, parlay all of our studies and everything into a deal. And ended up we worked with Cleveland on it, of course, which is a whole other topic of conversation. Um, we did so much background work on Julio from an analytics standpoint as well, even though that was early, right? That was 11. Mm-hmm. I, I think we were quite, um, you know, I thought we were a, ahead of the curve in a lot of ways then without getting into the specifics of it. I, I look at where we were then, however, and where we are now, and I'm thinking we didn't even scratch the surface. I think back then we felt we did. And it was a it was a very big part of what we were doing from a statistical analysis, from a, interestingly enough, after we did take him, how we kept him on the field, on the, uh, the rest and rehab side of the injuries that he's had. We actually spent time up in, in Carolina, North Carolina University uh, and at Chapel Hill, and we we spent time with him in a uh, in a lab and really analyzed him at so many um, statistical and, and analytical levels. You would be amazed. You you would have been fascinated by it because we were trying to determine where he was with the power outage and where how he was moving. What would potentially add to more stresses on his body because he was just one of the most incredibly powerful people we had ever seen, right, pound for pound. So that was our post acquisition element. We we are continuing to work a lot from an analytical standpoint on our, on our post-acquisition to keep him on the field as much as we can. As you know, he's such a hardworking guy on the field, and, you know, unfortunately, he takes a beating. And so we have to keep him on the field as much as possible. This may sound stupid, but were you nervous making that big of a trade? Uh, you know, people had told me, and even even Coach Belichick, we had a talk before. I mean, you're going to be he saying to me, you're, you're going to be uh, associated with that trade the rest of your career. I knew that. I mean, I was, I've always felt like anything in business, anywhere in this world, if you don't take your chances, as long as they're not flipping chances, as long as they're Well, you did your homework, enough. right? Yes. You know, like Back it's not like homework. you were like, well, let's just roll the dice and see what happens. That's exactly right. We, we, we knew it was a big organizational move. Mm-hmm. I knew personally, as much as I didn't want to talk about it with Arthur Blank, 
I knew that it was something that I was going to be judged off of. Mm-hmm. And as you know, when we made the pick, I mean, I mean, the critics out there thought, you know, it, whatever. Thought I lost they can my think mind. Whatever, right? Because where then, we are now. Yes, <laughs> we were all over the place there, right? I remember when it came up on the screen. We were all in the draft room. Arthur was standing beside me. We were excited about it. We make the move, and uh, ESPN starts ripping on Julio for missing every ball. This, that. There were like ten balls dropped. Arthur kind of looked at me and he said. Well, that's that other network. That's why we're that, on this one. Geez, I shouldn't right. be using that, I guess. But <laughs> no, the, the simple fact is there there was just so much critique about going up and going after a receiver, which wasn't common, right? Right. I think that's one of the things that has definitely changed, and I was talking about this the other day. We have a lot of general managers that are you know, in their early 40s, completely different group than there was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So some of the, the – um, what people have always deemed as you wouldn't go up for a receiver or you wouldn't go up after a guard early – it's, it is all about how those players can affect your team yep. now because we all know this is a not-for-long league. We all know my contemporaries in the league, we all believe like you better capitalize now, you and your head coach, or you may not be around in three years. Right. It's, things are moving fast. Really quickly. You did the same kind of thing last year with Tack McKinley. You went up and you jumped ahead of the Cowboys who presumably were going to take a pass rusher. You got Tack McKinley. Seems to be paying off well. Really excited about Tack McKinley, of course. We were aggressive with that as well. We mm-hmm. knew that we were going to have to move up. Interestingly enough, through that whole process, for, for months probably, we were trying to run all these different scenarios, trying to, to figure out how far up we would have to go to get certain players. Of course, you never know, right, because right. it's not an exact science. And uh, we had a number of rushers that we were looking at, and we were very fortunate at that point to go after Tack. Tack, from a statistical standpoint and what he does for us, how he, how he contributed this year, how we expected him to, to contribute That's last year. That's the key year. right there, yes. right? Expe- the expectation. Yes, the expectation. And the probability and, and the potential for where he is right now, we're really excited. But we, again, there were there were elements to his play that we knew that we were, we were taking a little bit of a chance on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, personality, he was maturing, of course. He had a, I think a fine year last year and he's really matured. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, it's one of the moves, another move. We did it with, uh, we did it with uh, Trufant. Uh, back, you know, I think that was what thirteen. I can't. Do it. I think it was thirteen. We've been very aggressive about going up to get players, and it comes back to what we believe. Uh, not, I don't want to use this snowboard line, but the go big or go home thing. I do believe in that, right? Mm-hmm. You, as a, as a team, you have to go after what you think is going to help your organization, and by making sure you do your research, what this whole podcast is about and this discussion is about. If, as long as you've done your research and you haven't flippantly made a decision on someone. I think you can you can hold your head high and and uh, you know you hope that it all works out. Well, I thank you so much for joining us. I know you need to get going, but I can't. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there's no better dressed person <laughs> in the entire NFL than okay. this man I'm sitting next to here. Uh, we're very lucky to. We're actually kind of matched today. I don't know. We'll put a picture of it so people can see it if they can't. Which right. makes me feel really proud. Like I'm really proud of myself because you are the, by far and away the best dressed man in the NFL. Do you think I could get away with the whole fur? Thing? A fur collar? Yeah. Yes, you could absolutely think, pull okay. off a fur, okay. a fur collar. Thank you so. Well, there much. are other people in the league, as you know, that want to take that. So I'll, I, you can divvy that out. Though. <laughs> other people because i know it's uh, faux yeah it's fo- I, I figured faux. That. it looks, yeah. good. It looks good thank you i appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so me. much thank you all right a big thanks to thomas dimitroff also todd bowles head coach of the jets for joining the program we won't be back until march 15th however make sure appointment-based listening set it as a date to remember in your calendar because cynthia is going to catch up with alex rodriguez get into it 
with A-Rod and uh, do all the predictive analytics that you want to hear as they apply to baseball. Turns out they like the analytics in baseball, don't they? That's been happening for a while. So that'll happen, and uh, a big thank you to all of you for leaving the ratings on iTunes, for sharing us through uh, social media, and uh, a big thanks to the sponsor of today's podcast, it says right here, Indianapolis Steakhouses. So um, I guess that's uh, that's who we're thanking. What's your favorite steakhouse in Indianapolis? Is St. Elmo's a steakhouse? St. Elmo is a steakhouse, yes. Then I'm going to do the cliche sports broadcaster thing and be like, I went to St. Elmo's, and I'm going to have the shrimp Shrimp cocktail. cocktail. I can't believe how hot it is. My eyes are watering. Oh, hey, oh, hey. How you like that, Gennaro? How you like that, (laughs) huh? Uh, And again, we'll be back March 15th, so make sure you check back. Enjoy the combine. Remember March 15th, also the day after the opening of free agency, so a whole lot of football that we'll get into there. Thanks for downloading, streaming, listening. We certainly appreciate it. We'll uh, check back in with you in a couple weeks. No, no, no. Time out. I'll introduce myself. I'm Brian Westbrook, <laughs> Villanova class of 2001, Philadelphia Eagles third round pick way back in 2002, played for nine years in the NFL. That's me. You can introduce yourself now. I'm Cynthia Freeland. <laughs> I was never drafted, although yesterday Todd Bowles told me that I would be a fifth round, have a fifth round grade. I have you a little bit higher than that. I have you third to fourth round, so Perfect. you never know. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. So we're here at the Combine. We're actually in the visitor locker room, which is, I, don't, I don't know why, why I think that's so yeah. fascinating, but it's interesting to be in the visitor's the locker visitor's room. The visitor's locker room always look kind of dreary, and mm-hmm. the, the home team never wants you to have a good time in their stadium. That's right. That's why I look so bad in here. That's right. Um, some stadiums are even like painted colors, like yeah. in Iowa, it's pink and yeah. stuff like that. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so do you remember your Combine well? I remember it being the most stressful time that I had in my entire career in the NFL. I mean, just very, very stressful. You have so many questions and nobody gives you answers. Just kind of just be here and we'll let you know. It was it was a bad experience for me. Is it better now that you come back as a legend? It's I feel better because I don't have to run and I don't have to jump and answer the questions from the coaches. But it kind of brings me back to 16 years ago when I was here and how scared I was at that point. I, I it didn't go well. Didn't go well for me. Why didn't it go well? Well, I mean, the big thing about the combine, especially for smaller guys, small school, is the forty. Yep. I mean, you have to run a, a great at your 40 position at too. my position. Right, so I'm, right. I was a running back. You know, you're a smaller guy. They expect you to run a four three, a low four three. I mean, a four three, four four, something around that. I ran a four five three. So they're looking at me like, well, hold up, time out. You're not very big. Um, you didn't go to a big school, and you're slow why would we ever take a chance on you? So this is why you need me because you actually had a really good broad jump. You and Ezekiel Elliott have the same broad jump, 118 inches. And he got drafted in the first round. Number four overall. I mean, that seems pretty good, that right? That's great. So we found, like, when I went back through a whole bunch of years of, like, looking at when NFL players become, and then I mapped it backwards to what happened in their combine. So let's just see who you were in the NFL and okay. then see what the profile was like backwards instead of forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found was that a lot of elite and above average running backs were able to jump at least 1.7 times their height. So you were actually somewhere around like 1.74 or 5 Boom. times your height. So you do have those like elite metrics. Explosive. And above. That's right. Lower body explosiveness. So those are the things that my agent should have been talking about, should have known. And if only we had you. I perfect. might have been a second or a first round pick. So, <laughs> Cynthia, you're now on my team. Oh, perfect. Next I'm time there. I go to the draft, I'll have you there. So, as a player, when you're going through these things and you're – I think we kind of all know that, like, it matters, but it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, you're yeah. you're not going to do – you're either confirming what somebody already thought about you unless you're some outlier. You're very – you run a slow 40 or you run a really fast 40 or mm-hmm. some weird outlier. 
Did you feel as a player once you got to the league, once you, you know, you were drafted, you went to Philadelphia, did you feel like, okay, there's, you know, are they looking at my numbers a lot or not a lot? You know, it's weird. Once you get into the league and, mm-hmm. and you're on a team, the numbers mean nothing. At this point, what can you do for me on the field? And we'll see you. The coaches will see you on the field as you practice and go through the day. But the other, the weird part is that when you change teams, mm-hmm. they'll go back and say, let's look at his combine numbers. Let's see what he did five years ago in the combine. And I'm like, and it was weird because when I went to San Francisco my last year in the NFL, one of the scouts was like, well, you only ran a four, five, three at the combine. And I'm thinking in my head, if you tested me now, it would be worse than that because <laughs> I can barely run at this point in my life. And so it was, it was, uh, it was, it was just funny, but I think a lot of the scouts and the management, they kind of look at it just to be able to grade guys and grade. guess each other. And then they say, well, on his tape, he looks really, really fast, but this number is a little off. So maybe he had a bad day. In my case, I had a terrible day, and luckily someone took a chance on me. I mean, the small school probably had a factor in that too, right? So Villanova, I mm-hmm. went to BC, not that dissimilar. Yeah. BC's a little bigger, but, you know, similar school. Yeah. Did you feel when you're when you're here and you're kind of being measured against these, like, you know, I don't, I can't remember everyone in your draft class, but I'm sure there were some bigger school guys that were there. There was, I mean, when I came into the, you know, the meeting room with all the guys, there's Ed Reed, there's okay. Clinton Portis, there's Heard Brian of McKinney. Heard of there, there's these guys that I literally have watched on TV. So they're, they're, they're not pros. They're not the NFL guys. They're just college guys that I've seen because they went to these big schools. And it's a weird feeling because you're a one, I was a one double A guy. No one knew who I was. You're small. You don't look like you belong in the room. And now you have to go out there and compete against these guys. And it was it was just a stressful time. And that's one of the reasons why the NFL uh, legends community has brought guys like myself, Fred Taylor, in. Yeah. Because now the running back group is 32 guys, small school guys, big school guys. They have the ability to come to us and say, you know, how was your experience? What, what, are, the, what are the teams going to ask in this period? Well, you know, what types of things should I expect? And I think that's going to take some of the stress off some of the guys. And it'll be an awesome time for them. Okay. So imagine I'm a smaller school running mm-hmm. back and I didn't run the best 40. I mean, yeah. that's not slow what you ran, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not right. blazing. Right. So I, I've just run that, you know, give me some advice. I would, I would, it would be simple. Listen, I played for nine years. The average running back plays for three years in the NFL. Correct. I played for nine years. I had a terrible combine altogether, a terrible combine because of the 40. You just didn't run very well. Don't lose confidence. Mm-hmm. Don't lose. Don't allow this one test to ruin your entire day. You can go to your school, to your pro day, and perform well. The teams will see it. They'll marry that up with the film that you've put. The reason why you're here at the Combine is because you can play. Great. Don't lose confidence because of this one test. Go out there continue to be the person that got you to this point. And if you do that, then the teams will continue to notice you. And what would what advice would you give Lev Bell in the situation of, now look, he's already proven he's elite. Yeah. He's great. We know he's really, yeah. really good. He's in a situation, right? We, we He wants more money. How do you, what would you tell him? <laughs> Get as much money as you can. <laughs> Get all the money. He deserves it. When you talk about the best running backs in the league, from my opinion, they, they are players that cannot be taken off the field. Mm-hmm. And Le'Veon Bell is one of those guys that should never be taken off the field. He, he just gives you too much in the run game. He gives you a lot in the pass game. He makes that offense special. I mean, obviously, uh, Antonio Brown does a lot of things. Ben does a lot of things. But when you have a running back that can be a threat inside and outside of the backfield, that's special. And he brings that spice to the offense. And so what I would tell him is wait until you give him that money. And when they do, that's when you show up. That's right. 
And one of the things that makes this pod different is we kind of look at contextualized numbers. Now, we know it's always like, you know, a negotiation between here's some stats and like, here's what you're seeing. Yeah. The best people kind of use it to reinforce good strategies, mm-hmm. right? So can you give us one thing that, so I always try to figure out when or like running, running backs blocking, right? Something was asked more of you, I yeah. think, than kind of current situations we see, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a little bit different run for running backs than even when you played, which isn't that long ago, yeah. but you know, can you kind of give us something like when we close our eyes or we're watching it down and it's a blocking down for a running back? Like, what do we look for? Who's good? You know, it's it's tough. I, I think you look at guys, old guys. Look, look at guys like Frank Gore mm-hmm. that are in the league. He's been in the league forever because he can do so many different things. But when you watch him, and I played with Frank in San Francisco, mm-hmm. his approach to blocking is just like a linebacker on the other side of the ball. He wants to go up there and hit you in the mouth and hurt you as a blocker. <laughs> He, it's not just I want to defend the quarterback. I want to hurt you. I want to make you not want to rush again. Then you see other guys that have no interest. They're ducking their head. They're closing their eyes. They, they're they not there to block. And those are the guys that are not three-down backs in my mind. Those are the guys that I can't leave you in on, on passing downs because at this point, I can't trust you to protect our quarterback. I was told very early in my career by Dorsey Levins, Brian Mitchell, and Deuce Staley, if you don't block for num- number five, Donovan McNabb, you won't play on this team. I said Deuce yesterday. Yeah. I think he would still say the same thing. I, I tell you what, if and <laughs> Deuce is the type of guy now, he he was he was a nasty player, gritty, hard nosed types of player. He's even worse as a coach. If you don't block now <laughs> for 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 Deuce Daly as a running back coach, you certainly won't play. He expects you to do it because that's that's what that's what it takes. The quarterbacks make an awful lot of money. You gotta certainly protect them. And, you know, so Deuce had great success with the mm-hmm. Eagles this mm-hmm. year with, you know, obviously all of their success. Yes. Um, which one of their backs, if you had to say, which one fits the Deuce Daly profile the most? So, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, mm-hmm. Corey Clement, J.H.I. Who fits the Deuce Daly profile? I think that as he continues to mature, uh, Corey Clement will be that guy. Mm-hmm. You talk about a guy, you know, at, at Wisconsin, bigger back. I mean, he, he weighed maybe 15 pounds more. He lost some weight, gained some speed. Mm-hmm. He's tough. He's hard-nosed. He went out there and, and made the first tackle on special teams of the season. He went out there and did some things, opened some eyes. And as an undrafted guy, he's still hungry. He still has to prove himself. Those are the types of guys that you want in the NFL, guys that that go out there every single day in practice and in games and grind and work their tail off because those are the guys at the end of the game that you can count on. They're going to do the small things, block. They're going to catch the ball out of the backfield. They're going to play special teams. Those are the small things that make teams special, and Corey has that within him. And do you have in this year's draft class, I know we're early, it's yeah. just the combine, do you have anyone in this one that you have your eye on, or are you going to prognosticate about where you yeah. know Saquon Barkley, potentially well, who well, he could you, be? Or You can't argue with his talent. Nope. Saquon has. Nope. He has the ability to do anything that he wants on the football field. Um, obviously, he's a bigger back, but mm-hmm. he can catch the ball at the back. He can return kicks. I mean, he can do anything. That's why he's going to be a top five pick. No, everyone kind of already knows that. I think Sony Michelle, he's a guy that when you look at him, he, he's re- he weighed in really thin. He, he's a little thin, which is like, not, not bad. If, if I think runs, that means he's going to run fast, that's, right? That's good. That's mm-hmm. good for his, for his running stats. I think the one thing that he brings is his ability out of the backfield. I love mm-hmm. his ability to catch balls run some different routes. That's what the NFL is about, depending on what team you go to. Um, there's a couple other guys, smaller guys. Uh, Naeem Hines out of mm-hmm. North, uh, North Carolina State, mm-hmm. smaller guy. He's going to have to play some special teams, but he may be a change of pace type of guy. He can get it done. 
I, I recognize those guys right away because they're they're my size. And when I see him, I'm like, oh, okay, I can see him working his way, continue to build his body and be a, a good player. Um, Rashad Penny, mm-hmm. uh, San Diego State production. Mm-hmm. When you see guys putting up numbers like that in college, that means they have something. Now can it translate into the NFL? Um, those are the guys I'm looking at. Those are the guys that I consider uh, uh, when if you're my if I'm a team, I'm looking at and saying I want those guys on my team because they are, they can produce or they can do specific things that can help me win football games. I love all of that. So on Good Morning Football, Eric Berry told us all that he was afraid of horses. I hear <laughs> that you have the exact op- opposite reaction yeah. to horses, and yeah. you actually have a horse farm. I do, I do. I um, it was this is long. This is 2006. I went I went home to D.C. Maryland area. And um, one of my friends said, let's go meet my neighbor. So we go over there and they're like, have you ever rode horse? I'm like, I've rode horses, like, you know, vacation, kind of like on the beach type of <laughs> vacation horses. horses. Right. It. It's kind of different than he was like, all right, I want you to ride with us. So they, they pull out this beautiful horse out of the barn. They said, he'll be nice and easy. All you have to do is do this to go right, do this to go left and pull back to stop. I'm like, OK, got it. I said, the horse is good, right? They were like, yeah, the horse is good. So I get up on this horse. And for some reason, this horse takes off 300 yards, wide open, sprinting, running. And I'm just yelling, go, I have no clue. By the grace of God, I've made it. And so after that, we went on a two-hour trail ride, and it was the most peaceful thing. I mean, throughout the NFL season, you're stressed out. It's what have you done for me lately? You have 200 yards one week. In the next week, you have 40 yards. You're the worst back ever. And so it's it's all about week to week. And it's, it's just a stressful environment. And so the horse farm and that trail ride was something that I, I cherished at that time to get away from it. And so after that ride, I uh, I told my realtor that I wanted to buy a horse farm, which was crazy. And I bought a horse farm, 50 acres, and I didn't even have a horse. So for the first year that I had the horse farm, I had no horses. So you just went on the trail rides alone? I didn't, I didn't go on the trail rides because <laughs> I didn't have a horse. I was I just know. walking. Just I'm taking me and my dogs are just <laughs> walking through the trails. And so... Um, finally got a horse and it, it was it's been a great time still own it what's his name um my first horse that i bought his name was jojo jojo still have that horse my dad rides him to this day loves him. my daughter loves him and so it, it's, it's just been do you have day. any other horses i have five other ones okay so. what are their names really quick jojo hawk sunny um jefe and don rico and max so <laughs> y- y- this is a funny thing you really only need one horse because you only ride one at a time but i have five and it's well that means you can bring friends so we can right. come ride horses anytime you want to come ride horses, horses you will be perfect yes and bring eric berry i'll teach him how to ride yeah <laughs> bring <right>. eric berry <laughs> thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate thanks it thanks for having me i appreciate mm-hmm. it i might take him up on that horse ride and maybe i will or won't invite money since he left early anyways as we told you before we have a rod coming up on march 15th so be sure to tune in in two weeks Thank you so much for listening to our extra long combine episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you in two weeks.